So that's kind of the, the end goal of all this. If you're going to start building out a proposal calculator today, it allows you to basically eliminate the sales and proposal discussion to the point where the proposal is pretty much somebody just signing off on something that they've already understood and approved. What if instead of doing a bunch of unpaid spec work and created complicated proposals for your prospects, you just didn't? What if you stopped customizing proposals or just opted out altogether? I'm your host, Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we talk about unconventional strategies for increasing the operational capacity in your business. And this month, we're talking about opting out. So choosing not to do certain things in your business as a tool for freeing up your time, money, and brain space for other more important things. I talked to Michelle Warner about focusing in on just a few services and opting out of selling all the things. I chatted with Brittany Berger about using boundaries to set expectations around how you work, both for yourself and for your clients. So if you haven't listened to those episodes, go check them out because they were some of my favorite conversations so far. Today, we're talking proposals. For a lot of agencies and consultants, you can really quickly spend a ton of time, often unpaid time, preparing proposals to pitch projects to clients. That time you spend selling and preparing those proposals is time that's sucking the profit out of any project you end up doing with them later on, if they even end up hiring you. And we also know that sending a proposal quickly can actually increase your ability to close those deals. A 2019 study by Better Proposals showed that if you send the proposal within 24 hours, you're 14% more likely to win the project. So knowing all of that, how do you deal with proposals? Everyone expects them, particularly if you're in an agency, but there are ways to really streamline the process so you can get a detailed proposal out quickly. But you can also just opt out of proposals entirely. My guest today, Rob Howard, runs both a web development agency and is the creator of Automatic Freelancer, which is a mentorship program for freelancers that talks about building sustainable process and systems. And we are diving deep into proposals. How can you build proposals quickly so that you can be the person to win the deal, but also not spend a ton of unpaid time coming up with some complicated proposal that the client's never really going to look at? We'll talk about the system Rob has developed that allows him to give accurate quotes on the initial call and send out proposals within 15 minutes of getting off that call. It's a system I've implemented successfully with several of my agency clients and ends up saving a ton of time, but also boosting profits. So let's jump in. Thanks so much for being here today, Rob. Thanks for having me. So you have created a process to be able to send proposals really quickly. Can you tell me a little bit about what was happening in your business at that point and why this was something that you felt like you needed to develop? Sure. Uh, so I think uh, anybody who's a freelancer or running a small firm or agency who works for clients, um, there is kind of the work that you do, right? And then there's the job behind the job, which is the sales, the marketing, the negotiations, all these things that are required before you sign that new business, before you start that new project. And it's really easy to kind of pin down and optimize, like, I want to be a better web developer, I want to be a better designer, I want to be a better copywriter and kind of focus on those skills. But it's actually quite difficult to um, focus on the sales skills because first of all, they're not usually what's fun for us, right? We're usually creatives or coders or, you know, some combination of those things. And sales kind of always feels a little bit icky. It feels like it's the opposite of what I want to be doing on any given day. 
Um, and I actually like talking to people and like having those conversations, but I don't really like sales. I don't think anybody, uh, you know, who's doing creative or, or technical work really sees that as something that they want to do all day. Right. So, um, in the context of the business, I wanted to basically figure out the way to score the same number of projects or, uh, you know, or more while significantly decreasing the amount of time that I spent on sales. Um, so, you know, that means phone calls with clients, actual sales meetings, um, but also the somewhat invisible work of like sitting down and writing a proposal and all of a sudden it's been three or four hours and you're kind of not done yet or you're struggling with pricing, you're struggling with, you know, exactly what to say, that sort of thing. Um, so from that, I started to try to hone down uh, my proposal process and I ended up with what we call the 30 minute profitable proposal system. Um, so we'll dig into that and talk about kind of all the details there. But basically the crux of it is that if you can reduce your sales time, you're actually dramatically increasing your kind of profit per hour or revenue per hour of your time without changing anything about the deliverable that you're actually providing to your clients. So it's really a, a, a incredibly valuable place to optimize um, because you know basically you're finding people who want to work with you and agree that it's a great idea for for you guys to work together and you're doing so in less time and delivering the same exact product right so it's a really uh, place that it's a place that's really ripe for optimization and efficiency um, and it's often not the first place we go when we think about those ideas yeah and it also is one of those kind of um, unpaid background things that gets built into the actual time it takes you to serve a client, but um, really hard to actually get paid for any of those hours that you're spending doing it. So they're um, really low value in terms of the revenue. And I love the metric that you use, which is revenue per hour versus um, any other metric. I think that's kind of unusual for folks. And um, so can you tell me a little bit more about why that's a metric that you choose to track? Yeah, so that's basically the only metric that I've tracked seriously for the you know 10 to 15 years that I've been running my business. And the reason I look at it that way, and I actually, I like to try to get it down to profit per hour, right? So like excluding expenses and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, that's more important. Like it's less important if you're a solo freelancer, more important as you bring on subcontractors and employees and stuff like that, obviously. Um, but what I like to you know see is, for the amount of time that I'm in my office chair, how much profit is my business earning, right? For a business that is mostly service oriented, um, I think that is really the key metric and the key performance indicator. And everything else is kind of, um, you know, uh, superfluous in comparison, if you will. Um, so when I look at it that way, I say, okay, well, the sales time, as you mentioned, is basically, uh, you know, unpaid time, at least in the eyes of the client, you know, like technically if I'm charging you $5,000, my sales time should sort of be wrapped into that. Right. Even though we're saying it's for the deliverable. Um, but in practice, you know, the client, um, number one, will never ask you how much time you're spending on sales or on the proposal, right. Where they might ask you like, how long is this project going to take? How many hours do you need? Depending on how you're structuring it. Right. Um, and it also is, a little bit, it, it, it's a big opportunity because basically the faster you can sell, 
the happier everyone is, right? So when you're thinking about speeding up your project schedule, sometimes that's good and sometimes people get, uh, you know, they feel wishy-washy about that. Like, well, if you could do this in two days, why did you charge me so much for it, right? But when it comes to sales, everybody wants to get through this part of the process as quickly as possible, right? So the client um, kind of uh, counterintuitively loves when you can turn around a proposal for them that's good really fast, right? They're not saying, well, you should really like put in your time and spend six hours in this proposal, you know? Uh, and it, so that gives you a really big opportunity to basically say, I'm going to tighten up my proposal creation process. I'm still going to have my initial call with my client. I might have a call to present the proposal to them, but that sort of intermediary, uh, like creating of the document work is an area where you can really, really, really tighten it up. Uh, you know, I've seen it go from like three to six hours on average to 30 minutes on average for some students. Um, and when you think about that across 10 projects a year, now you're saving a ton of time. Like that's basically like an extra week off per year of time not spent on, you know, laboring over proposals. Um, so, you know, there are many places to optimize, but I think optimizing for sales and optimizing uh, for that profit per hour number for me have been the things that have really significantly moved the needle more so than, for example, like becoming a better coder or becoming a faster coder, right? Because that's kind of like a lifelong uh, endeavor. Whereas, you know, the sales improvements can be a month-long endeavor and you can get immediate results uh, after that. Absolutely. So the, um, the profit per hour number, do you then tie that to particular clients? Do you go back and do any analysis? Um, yeah, ideally. And then use that? Ideally, it's great uh, to do like an end of year or end of six months review and, you know, literally have a spreadsheet where you're showing profit per hour per client as closely as you can. Um, because what's interesting about that, um, you know, we do that uh, to help you sort of target your, your ideal audience uh, based on that as well. Um, so there's two things that come out of that. Number one is you can see which clients are mathematically not good for you right? And if that person is also psychologically not good for you, then it makes it very easy to say, I'm going to, you know, stop working with this client next year, for example. Um, you also sometimes get surprised where some of the clients who are, who you, you know, don't mind working with are actually like really, really low profit for you. Um, and then you can figure out, you know, where you want to take that, whether you want to have a conversation with them or, you know, change gears and say, you're not going to do that work anymore. Um, so, being able to kind of pin down a profit per hour number gives you something where you're actually comparing apples to apples between clients, right? Uh, which can be hard to do. You know, a lot of uh, freelancers will have, you know, five or 10 different clients and there might be five different industries or five different project types in there as well. Um, so it can be hard to compare apples to apples if it's just in your head, right? But once you get it down on that sheet and you're starting to look at, actual dollar amounts and thinking about, well, that hour of my time, I could have been playing with my kids, but instead I was earning, you know, $35 from this crappy client, or I could have been earning $150 from this great client, whatever it is, right? It gives you a lot more visibility into um, how your business is doing 
you know, financially, but also in terms of like what your time is, how you're, how you're being compensated for your time. Right. Um, and then I think the bigger picture is as a business owner and somebody who provides, you know, freelance technical or creative services, I really want to build a business that serves my clients well, delivers, you know, projects to them that they're really happy with and allows me to make the best use of my time and essentially trade my time for the most money and the most enjoyment that I can find out there. Right. And I think that, um, you know, that sort of goes against like the world of like, find your passion a little bit. Um, but I think it is, uh, kind of an important step to be able to say like, I enjoy my work and I also do my work for money. Right. Um, so being able to say both of those things simultaneously and hold both of those ideas at the same time, um, kind of allows you to, I think, upgrade in a big way and, um, you know, build a business that, you know, works for your clients and works for you. Whereas a lot of, a lot of us get stuck in a business that works for your clients, but doesn't really work for you. Right. And that's when you start to burn out and you start to struggle. Yeah. No, I like that perspective. So going back to your profit per hour calculation a little bit and digging in there, um, how are you calculating that? Are you tracking your time? Yes. So I track all my time. Um, and even on uh, projects that are fixed fee, uh, I'll track that time because I want to go back and say, you know, my estimate was X and did I hit that or was I above or below it? Right. Um, the other component of it is whenever possible, I also track my sales time separately from my implementation time. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you know, if you do that for six months, for example, you can go back and you can not just, uh, drill down to a profit per hour per client, but you can have a profit per hour per client per task. Right. And that's where you can say like, well, project a, I really, uh, you know, earned a lot on the implementation, but it took like 17 hours for me to sell that. I had to do four meetings. I had to write the proposal. I had to rewrite the proposal, right? So you really see where the sales is essentially sucking profitability away from that project, right? And there may be clients where you have no sales or very, very low. Um, you like clients who run retainers, for example, and you're basically saying, you know, we've agreed to this and we're kind of just deciding what work to do and then doing it. And then I'm getting paid for that, right? And that's awesome. That's kind of your lowest sales scenario. Um, and then for the clients who are relatively new, who need a lot of sales, um, that's where something like the 30 minute proposal system comes in and actually makes you a little bit more profitable on those because you're able to get through that initial kind of getting to know you, uh, feeling out the proposal process much faster. Yeah. And I also, I think um, tracking time, particularly for founders is something that often gets forgotten in terms of that's actually really one of the fundamental key pieces of data that you can collect relatively easily using, you know, there's tons of apps out there, Toggle and totally. Harvest and all of those, all of those project management tools that allow you to track your time. Um, but having that data is so invaluable to then be able to turn around and use that to make decisions about how to grow and where to grow and where you are where you have holes in your process, you know, where is the time getting sucked out, which clients are really hogging the most of your time. And so I, I love that you track all of it. 
totally and as granularly as possible like you know i'm a pretty like i'm pretty intense about not uh being on email all day today um but you know five or ten years ago i was less i had i had worse email hygiene right um but there were times where basically i would say i would actually create a project called email right and track that you know obviously there's also like apps and tools that will kind of track which websites you're on and stuff like that um so part of it is uh kind of like that like am i focused or am i multitasking all the time question right there's a big um opportunity for efficiency and improvements there um and part of it is being able to say like let's look at the different things that i do like i don't just develop websites i also do a lot of sales so how do those tasks compare to each other you know, in terms of how worthwhile they are. Um, and I think part of it is also being willing to uh, decide that something that everybody else does is not the thing that you should do, right? Like, I think that there is, you know, even in the world of kind of sales and proposals, like, so this idea that, well, if you're not slaving over this, you're not doing it right. If you're not like stressing about the price down to like the dollar or the 25 cents, you're doing something wrong, you know? Um, so what I would, I would, you know, want to put out there is like, there actually is a different way, even though, um, you know, kind of the, the freelancer stereotype is like, I'm never, I'm always undervaluing myself. I'm never able to keep up, you know, clients want these huge proposals tomorrow and I can't do it or, you know, it takes me forever. And then I lose track of the actual projects I'm working on, stuff like that. Um, those are all very common pitfalls. And, you know, frankly, I think that the, um, you know, if you talk to 10 other people and they're all like, yeah, I have that problem too. You start to imagine that it's, it's the only way that life can be. Right. Um, so I think one of the things that I try to do, um, you know, when I teach freelancers is to say like, yeah, like this is sort of the freelancer stereotype, but your life and your business actually don't have to be that way. There's many different ways that you can structure this, um, you know, in terms of sales, in terms of the time you spend in the office, in terms of which, hours of the day you spend in the office, which clients you work with or say no to all those things. Like there are sort of, uh, there are a lot of ways to do that, but we often assume, especially when we're starting out, I have to do it the default way, you know, our clients are not going to like me. Um, so I definitely want to kind of put out there that there are many ways to approach this. Uh, and some of them are quite unorthodox, but actually work really well for both you and the client. Absolutely. So speaking of that, let's dive back in into the proposal process and tell me a little bit about the process itself. How does it work? Sure. Um, so one of the biggest challenges is when a client comes to you and wants something really big and you start to kind of feel overwhelmed and you're like, wow, this could be like 50 hours or 75 hours or I don't really know. And you start to kind of um, struggle to break it down into digestible pieces, right? Um, especially if there's a project that's taking place over a relatively long period of time or is like pretty big, you know, um, it can be really difficult to digest it and give people a fair price that is both fair for them and fair for you quickly, right? And we'll often find, um, you know, in some of the like freelancing kind of forums and communities I'm in, like there's this perennial question of like, I don't know exactly what I should charge for this. Can you guys give me some ideas or tell me like what the right answer is, you know? And the truth is there actually is no right answer to this question, right? Like you could justify any number of prices on a pretty broad spectrum. And if your client's shopping for quotes, you know, they could get 
multiple quotes that range like by a factor of 10 in some cases. Like it's not uncommon in web development for us to see a quote for 10,000 and a quote for 50 or 100,000 on the same project, as crazy as that sounds, if you're, if you're seeking multiple kind of proposals. So how do you get out of your head and how do you actually start getting something on paper so you can deliver a good proposal to your client quickly without stressing about it? Um, one of the concepts that we use uh, is something that I kind of have stolen from like Starbucks and like the typical like restaurant coffee shop, which is trying to break everything into small, medium, and large, right? So rather than having like an unlimited range, like this could be anywhere between 10 hours and 50 hours, right? Which means 12.5 is a possibility, 27.1 is a possibility, right? Instead of having that like long kind of like analog range, what you really wanna do is think about everything in terms of small, medium, and large options, right? So if it's 11 hours, it's small. If it's 15 hours, it's also small. If you go over, over 20 hours, now you're at medium. And if you go over 40 hours, you're at large, something like that. That allows you to break it down in your head in a way that you can easily digest to the point where you could even start uh, quoting numbers on a phone if you wanted to. And for some of my clients who I know and trust, like, you know, they'll get on the phone with me for a project that I'm literally typing into like the spreadsheet and calculator um, that we'll talk about more during today's, uh, you know, discussion. Um, and I'm saying like, yeah, I think this is going to be like a 10 to $15,000 project. And they're like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Send me the proposal for that. Right. So when you can get to that point, like they're basically buying from you psychologically as soon as you give them that reasonable range that works for everyone. Right. And that's something you can do in some cases immediately, in some cases, you know, in a matter of like 15 or 30 minutes, if you have kind of your options and your calculator set up in advance, right? So that's kind of the, the end goal of all this that might take, you know, a month or more to get to, uh, you know, if you're, if you're gonna start building out a proposal calculator today, um, but it allows you to basically eliminate the, the sales and proposal discussion to the point where the proposal is pretty much somebody just signing off on something that they've already understood and approved, right? Um, and it takes a lot of the, the back and forth out. It takes a lot of the, well, could I change this and maybe save one hour of time? You know, when you start to hear questions like that from clients, it <laughs> not only is frustrating, um, but it like dramatically increases the amount of sales time you're putting into a project. And it usually decreases the amount of money you're making. Um, and it's probably not a great sign for, you know, the way that client is, is going to work with you in the long term. Um, but you can also help your clients not do that by presenting them with like solid bids that, you know, don't leave a lot of room for like nitpicking, um, you know, have a fair price and, and that you can turn around fast. Well, I also think like if you can present um, a very clear proposal with a very clear process, you know, and you can demonstrate that you have a clear process. There's a lot of value to that that makes you stand out, particularly if you're competing for bids against people who are not responding quickly because they're spending, you know, 10 yeah. hours drawing up a proposal that's not substantially different from the proposal you're using. Um, but there is value in getting it there fast and demonstrating that you can respond efficiently. Totally. And what I've actually found is that being able to say, I'll get your proposal in 15 minutes, 
so you can you know show it to your boss or you can read over it or whatever whatever they need to do um, actually instills an incredible amount of confidence in you as a freelancer not just because you're fast but because it's proof that you've thought about this pricing in advance and you're giving everyone the same fair price so mm-hmm. one of the one of the um one of the kind of unspoken things that everybody knows freelancers do but no one really likes to admit to is uh, there's always this fear that somebody is just trying to give me the highest quote that I could possibly accept as a client. Right. And there's even like a whole like sales philosophy around that. Like you should always be pushing for the maximum possible amount that you can earn. And like, what will the market tell you? You know, there's all sorts of stuff like that. Right. You know, basically like anything, any money that you leave on the table is a huge problem. Right. Um, I actually take kind of the opposite tack where I want to say like, I have fair and, you know, it's not necessarily published pricing, but it's pretty much transparent and everybody gets the same price if they're requesting the same thing. Right. Um, so in that way I operate a lot more like a brick and mortar business or like a plumber would operate. Right. As opposed to um, kind of the ephemeral, like secretive internet world where you can kind of change <laughs> your price every day, you know, right. or you can, well, maybe, and what, what, what a lot of people will say is like, well, this is for a hospital. So I bet I could charge them a lot more, right? Then I could charge like the small business down the street because these guys have a lot of money. And there's this whole like, well, this client seems rich, so I should charge them more philosophy, um, which, um, you know, first of all, I don't think really fits with where I want to be on like ethical and relationship with client grounds. But the other problem is that it makes it impossible for you to decide what your prices are, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, proposal system is actually deciding what these things cost and putting a number on it and sticking to it. And that action alone is one of the biggest places where you're going to save time and most more importantly, mental energy uh, over the course of, you know, many years running your business. Um, so now I can say, you know, the core cost of a website is X. Every time you add a new template, it adds, you know, X number of dollars more to that. And I actually have that built out into a spreadsheet um, that I think we're going to share with listeners uh, at the end. And, uh, you know, basically you can start plugging stuff in and the past version of you has already made all these pricing decisions. So today's version of you is really just taking notes and saying there are, you know, 10 pages of copy. There are 10 design templates, whatever those numbers are. Um, and then maybe applying like some small, medium and large, like this is a really difficult project. We're going to call it a large, like a high intensity project as opposed to a low intensity project. So what it comes down to is like, you can break a lot of this stuff down to arithmetic, right? And the key is before you can do arithmetic, you need to decide what your components or your units actually cost. Once you do that, everything gets dramatically simpler. And that's the point where you can start to say like, I've already got the proposal basically written. I'm going to need to put in, you know, your exact numbers. I have two paragraphs of notes that I'm going to basically copy in to your proposal for your specific needs and we're good to go. So I can get this to you later today. It's not going to stress you out as a freelancer to actually create that proposal. And it's going to make your client feel more confident in you as well as, um, dramatically cutting down on that sales time, which if you get the project means the project is going to be a lot more profitable for you in the long run. Well, and I also, I like the idea of, 
And it's something that I talk about a lot where it's, you know, make the decision one time up front and then just follow that as a process. And I think when it comes to sales, it's, there's a lot of emotional charge to trying to figure out how to, um, what to charge and how to charge. And I think particularly in service-based businesses, a lot of that is kind of wrapped up in our own concepts of our own like self-worth, I think. And so I think when you can take the emotional bit out of it on a day-to-day and maybe you just have to deal with that the one time where you decide what your prices are at that point in time, I think it just makes it, it makes sales less icky. (laughs) At least that's what I've found is that um, when I have a clear process and I have, I know, I know what I'm going to charge somebody. I don't, I don't have as difficult a time with sales now as I did when I started because I've decided what my prices are. And that's, I, I operate a lot like you do. Um, I actually follow your proposal system. So I know going in how much I'm going to charge somebody. And it allows me, one, to stick to my own boundaries about what I've decided. You know, I've decided that's the rule and along yeah. we go. Um, but it just makes the sales process easier because instead of thinking about it and feeling it and dealing with all of that, I just check the box and off we go. Yeah. And the other thing is that if that person sees that price and says no, that's okay. Right. Because Mm -hmm. not only have you systematized it to the point where you're now you're comfortable with saying like, you know, first of all, my other clients are paying this price. So it's not an, like it's, it's a fair price. Like you may or may not as an individual or, you know, an individual company want to make this, you know, investment, but like, there's no question that like this price makes sense based on my past experience with, you know, five or 10 or a hundred other clients. Right. And then if they do say no, the other kind of key factor here is that you only spent half an hour on the proposal. Mm-hmm. So who cares? Right. So it actually allows me, to, you know, a, a lot of, um, a lot of sales coaches will try to get you to basically price qualify and eliminate people as early on in the sales process as possible. Right. But in my experience, it's really difficult for, uh, you know, the typical freelancer to like, say, you know, I can kind of detect that this person is not going to be like price qualified before you actually put numbers in front of them and have a real conversation. Right. So the worst case scenario is, you spend, you know, eight hours in the proposal and they're like, wow, like I was thinking it would be 10% of the amount that you gave me, right? Because then you've wasted all this time and you're not getting the project. If you can do it in a way that you can put like a good number in front of them quickly, like you can say ballpark estimate, 10 to $15,000. Does that sound like it? we should proceed, you know, and look at a full proposal, right? That allows you to do the price qualification stuff in a way that is real, right? So you're not just trying to like scare them away artificially. You're actually saying, based on the specs we just talked about for half an hour, it's going to be in this range. That allows them to say yes or no quickly. And it reduces your risk of talking to new prospects because you know, worst case scenario, within an hour, they'll either be in or they'll be out, right? So you're Mm -hmm. not really losing much, um, you know, in terms of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the investment in sales that don't work out the investment of your time in sales that don't work out. Right. The other so, thing that's, uh, okay. interesting about self-worth, uh, sorry, uh, uh, is, um, you know, we, we attach our self-worth to these dollar amounts and when, whether we get these projects or not. But the problem is that basically at the scale that most freelancers operate at, everything is more or less random, right? So it like <laughs> if you could put a million leads through this system, 
you could maybe make a good case to me that the results are not random. But for most freelancers, you get like five or 10 leads a month in a best case scenario. And a lot of those people are just randomly not going to choose you for reasons that are totally unrelated to you, right? So that's another good reason to take the emotion out of it because you really can't control that. Your sample size is pretty much always going to be too small to do like a reliable split test. You know, mm -hmm. it's not the same as having a website with a lot of traffic where you can do reliable, you know, split testing and say version A performed better than version B. A lot of it is, <clears throat> you know, personal connection. A lot of it is uh, emotion on the side of the client, right? Um, a lot of it is just random luck, you know? Um, so being able to detach from that um, not only makes everything faster and thus more profitable, but it also makes life a lot easier. Um, I'd say the vast majority of like the extreme stress situations that I see in freelancers uh, center around um, how much should this cost and, and questions like that. Oh yeah. I, like when I started out, I used to dread just dread sales calls. You know, I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't want to have that conversation. I didn't, um, you know, I'd get off of sales calls and just be dripping in sweat. And once I got to the point where I realized that, you know, if I have a process and I have a clear thing that I'm selling and I know how much it costs and then it's just me giving them the information and yeah. maybe they're a good fit, maybe they're not. And it, it does take away a lot of that stress of, selling and makes it easier to not be afraid of that because you're just having a conversation and you're just giving them information, I think. And you can actually sell a lot softer when you have mm -hmm. that confidence. Um, you know, a lot of the hard sales stuff is like, you must decide today, like this offer expires, like all that kind of stuff, which a lot of people do in, in freelancing. And, you know, I see people teaching mm -hmm. that and I'm like, first of all, like that just, feels so uncomfortable for me as someone who's trying to build a human connection with a client who I would like to be a client for life. You know, um, it just is not a, it's not the, it's, you're not starting out on the right foot with the relationship. Um, but I think a lot of that also comes from insecurity of like, am I priced too high? I need to make this happen fast. Am I, am I, you know, doing this in a way that they change their like, mind. you're kind of assuming that like you have to trick someone into working with you in a way. Right. Uh, yeah. which I think is not, you know, a healthy way to do it. Um, it doesn't really help the client in the sense that you may not be the right person for them and they should have the time that they need and the, and the right to make that decision for themselves, you know? Um, so yeah, it just, you know, being able to say like, I decided on my prices a year ago and that's what they are, you know, and you can always universally increase your prices, but what you want to avoid is like choosing pricing kind of in an odd hook way for every single project. Uh, that's where you get stressed out. You start to uh, basically make mistakes like arbitrarily pricing something way too high or way too low and misjudging the client, you know? Um, and it just stresses everybody out and, and, and slows you down. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about the how, how you actually do this. Talk to me about the spreadsheet and sure. the, you know, what, what are you doing when you are kind of on the phone with the client talking through this proposal process, what's, what are you doing? Totally. So basically the, sh the, the math of the sheet has maybe four or five rows that add up to a total. Um, the first one is a base fee. So for example, you might say every project has a $1,000 base fee, no matter what. Right. And that just covers kind of everything that I need to do to make 
this project happen, you know, whether it's a big website or a small website or a big, you know, campaign or a small campaign. Um, and then you want to have two or three components and each one of those components is going to have a unit price. And then you're going to be talking to the client and taking notes and saying, okay, there's three of these, or there's 10 of these in the project that you want. So for me, the components for building a building a website are usually the number of unique templates we need to design. So like the homepage versus the interior page versus the events page, et cetera. And the number of unique types of content that need to be included. So standard page content, list of team members, list of events, stuff like that. Those two things pretty much map to how big of a project this is gonna be 99% of the time. Um, so as you're taking notes of the client, you're literally typing into the spreadsheet, okay, here's template number one, here's template number two, and the spreadsheet is adding up those items for you. And then you can look over at the other side and say, okay, now we have uh, $4,000 worth of templates. Let's talk about unique content types. And obviously these components are gonna change for everybody, right? So for your business, you have different components in a project I, for a What software we're implementing and those kinds of things. Exactly. And then like a copywriter might have, you know, number of 500 word articles that I have to write or number of advertising campaigns we're going to build. Whatever those are for you, um, you can, you know, your goal is going to be to break down at least 70 or 80% of your projects that you do into like a few components, right? And if that seems hard to do, that may also be a sign that you're doing too many types of disparate projects right now and you might want to kind of hone down your niche over time. But basically you should be able to do this for at least one type of project that you do, right? Um, so once you have your components, um, you can start to multiply these things together, you know, type of component, maybe this component costs $500 per unit and you have five of them, right? So you now have $2,500 as a line item. Um, and as you go through those, um, you can also, if you want, add things like common custom add-ons. So for me, for example, a common custom add-on might be like adding a basic e-commerce uh, area to a website. And I'll actually just put a fixed fee on that add-on most of the time. Um, so it's not a question of like how many products you have. It's like, here's e-commerce. We just added it. It's 5,000 extra dollars, right? Or whatever that price is. Um, so once you do that, you immediately start to end up with like a pretty solid number pretty quickly. Because if you think about this, you're already taking these notes as you talk to your client about the project, but rather than, you know, writing them down in Evernote or a text editor and then trying to transcribe them and translate them later, you are literally just typing them into a spreadsheet and saying, this is one template, this is two content types or whatever it is, right? And your components are adding up to a number before your eyes as you're taking notes. So it dramatically reduces the amount of time that you're kind of like parsing words and parsing ideas and you're kind of converting your note taking into your actual math and your proposal creation. Okay. So then what do you do with the information once you have it? Say that they say you give them the ballpark number and um, they say, great, let's go ahead. What happens then? Sure. So basically I don't always, I won't always quote people over the phone, but I found that it's a lot of people actually teach you not to ever do that. And what I've found is that if you've established, you know, a decent level of rapport with somebody and you've maybe talked to them even like a couple times over the phone in the past and they feel like, like they would like to explore working with you. Right. Um, it really actually helps the client make a 
um, make a judgment about how legit you are and how possible it is to work with you to be able to give them like a broad range over the phone. So most of the time clients will not be able to settle on like, I need exactly this number of components. So in the spreadsheet, we have basically like a high number and a low number. So you can say like for the first component, there's going to be like seven to 10 of these for the second component. There's going to be, you know, 12 to 15 of these, for example. And the spreadsheet then gives you kind of like a low number and a high number. And you can say, you know, like <clears throat> based on what we've talked about right now, um, this seems ballpark estimate like a 10 to $15,000 project. Uh, does that seem like it's something that you would want to explore? Something like that. Like it can be, you know, you don't have to say like, will you buy that? You know, you don't want to be like nervous about it in that way. Um, but you want to also say like, like you have to accept that like somebody might come to you and they might have like a $2,000 budget for a project that is 10 to 15,000. And it gives them the opportunity to be like, honestly, no, like they could say no at that point, And that would actually be fine, you know, because That's you've only spent, everybody. yeah, you haven't spent that much time together, but you're able to give them a really solid quote fast. And if you imagine like the opposite scenario where you spent like 10 hours slaving over the estimate and you're like freaking out about, you know, little minutia in the estimate. And then it turns out you're like five X off and it doesn't even matter. Like the minutia was, was a waste of your time. Right. Um, so if you're able to just get them some sort of broad ballpark uh, early on, that's actually based on stuff that they've told you, I find that that's really valuable in that it can eliminate people who would eventually be eliminated no matter what. Right. But it also instills a lot of confidence in everybody else who's, who's working with you and who's, who's on these sales calls with you. Cause it shows that you know your stuff. It shows that you've thought about it and made some real decisions that are now allowing you to act fast. Right. And I think it just creates, um, you know, good vibes throughout the whole relationship. <clears throat> um, and then they can say, you know, like sometimes people will just say, yeah, that sounds fine. You know, and some people will say like, okay, that sounds good. You know, I kind of budgeted, you know, like, 12,000. So let's talk about like what factors might need to change. And then, then that becomes a productive conversation that allows you to kind of arrive, you know, at a place that works for everybody. Yeah. I mean, the, the end result is the goal is that it's a good fit for you and for your client and that it makes sense for everybody. Exactly. Um, and there's a few other things that, you know, I've sort of automated uh, alongside this. So and one of the questions that most people will ask is, okay, it may cost ten to $15,000, how long is it gonna take, right? Mm -hmm. So within the spreadsheet, we've just built out some basic logic <clears throat> and it's it kind of maps to what I talked about earlier with the small, medium and large, right? So I'm not saying like, this is gonna be a 49 day project, right? I'm either saying it's gonna be a six to eight week project, an eight to 10 week project or a 10 to 12 week project, right? So there's really only three options there. Um, and basically we just have a uh, like, set of like greater than less than logic logic in the spreadsheet that says based on the quote like ten thousand dollar project equals eight to ten weeks fifteen thousand dollar project equals you know ten to twelve weeks and anything bigger than that or lower than that goes into one of these other like a small number of categories basically so not only can you quote a price you can quote a timeline and you know basically you're giving them everything that they, they need to like start thinking about whether this is right for them very quickly Right. So then, so you've, you've given them the timeline, you've given them the ballpark. What next? So if they go for it, then I move into actually writing or creating a proposal. 
So what, what I've done in this part is basically built a template that has everything but the kitchen sink in it. So you're writing everything once, right? And then deleting the stuff from the template that you don't need. For example, there are three different schedule paragraphs in the template. One is for the short version of the schedule, one is for a medium schedule, one is for a long schedule. So each project can only have one of those. But rather than actually writing something each time, I'm just deleting the two of the three that I don't need each time. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a couple other places where, you know, we kind of use this rule of threes. Like there's <clears throat> three ways, for example, as a web developer that I could get uh, the visual designs from you, right? And one of those is going to be less expensive and one of those is going to be more expensive, right? So each of those things I've basically pre-written uh, or I've written once and then turned it into a template. And now I'm going through and rather than feeling like I'm sitting down and writing, you know, cause I get writer's block, even though I write a lot, I get writer's block when I actually have to do it on the spot, you know, um, I'm actually deleting stuff and I never get deleter's block. That's actually pretty easy. <laughs> um, so most of the time, you know, I'm deleting <clears throat> like two thirds of the possible sections of the proposal. And then I'm pasting in like maybe three to 10 bullet points from our conversation to make it specific to them. But basically most of the stuff in there applies to all my clients at this point. Um, and as I mentioned before, like you may have kind of a wider range of projects right now and that's okay. Um, but eventually it's going to make sense to kind of narrow it down to basically one or two project structures and have that be the vast majority of the work that you do, because that's going to allow you um, not only to target your clients better and more effectively, um, but really, really, really hone down your sales process to like the bare minimum, um, you know, and, and kind of put into practice the stuff that we've been talking about today. Well, and I think it also then populates to the rest of your business. If you're selling, you know, just a few specific things and you're selling them very efficiently and you've kind of productized the delivery of that proposal, that can populate, populate through the rest of your business and you can productize the delivery of that service as well. So even if you're delivering, uh, you know, customized things like in this case a customized website it's not going to be somebody else's website it's going to be their website but if you're always doing the same kinds of projects you can always do the same process on the back end to get that product out so i think there's kind of some far-reaching implications for the rest of your business that <clears throat> starts at the beginning totally it plays into not only your work at the beginning when you're basically a solo entrepreneur um, but it allows you to hire more effectively because you only need to hire for a couple of key skills that you know go into the main projects that you do and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, we, I think, um, you know, I think there's some level of kind of like glamour to the idea of like, I can do everything, you know, like you tell me what it is and I'll do it and I'll charge you $50 an hour for it, you know? And like, yeah, that's, uh, I think that's very helpful when you're an early stage freelancer or consultant because you need to try a lot of stuff to figure out where that cross section is between what you enjoy and what you can sell effectively. Right. But once you figure out where that cross section is, it, you know, you start to benefit a lot more from niching down uh, than you do from kind of expanding your horizons. Um, and that's not to say you have to do the same exact work for the next 10 or 20 years. You know, I've pivoted my business several times. Uh, and sometimes significantly over the last 15 years. <laughs> um, but you also need to be willing to say like, 
yeah, I'm going to go all in on this one thing, at least for some serious period of time, as opposed to always bouncing around. Well, yeah. And if you're always tracking, you know, some, some data like time tracking, you can always go back to that data and reevaluate and say, okay, great. I tried a whole bunch of different projects. Who were the best clients? Who were the clients that I most enjoyed working with? Who were the clients that uh, were the most profitable? What projects did I deliver in the best way? And use that then to figure out what, what should you kind of productize? What should you be selling? What kind of projects are the best for you at that point in your business? That might be a different answer than two years from now, but right now, if you were going to niche down, who are, who are the people that you should look at? And you can use actual data to make that decision, which I like. Totally. And it plays back in like seeing yourself as a business, right? Like I'm not necessarily like, I'm not just doing whatever I can find, you know, that people will hire me for. Right. And I'm also not just an individual getting paid. I'm an owner building a business. Right. And when you take the mindset of an owner building a business, even if it's a small business, even if it has you as the only employee, right. Um, framing it that way, um, you know, sets you up for, for growth and success down the road. Um, and also pushes you out of some of the mindsets that I think people really get stuck in and, and kind of stagnate in like, um, you know, being unwilling to turn any project down, right? Being unwilling to commit to a niche or to say no to stuff. Um, that's okay, like in your first year, but once you get to a point where you really want to level up, it, it can be quite, um, you know, it's difficult to take it to the next level when you're in those those mindsets. When you're just taking whatever. Yeah, I personally found it very liberating to be able to have a yeah. very clear idea of who am I working with, who are who will I actually be a good fit for, who <clears throat> will I be able to find the most, deliver the most value for, and then just being free to say those are the people I'm going to work with. Yeah, and I'm not it never work with everybody else, and that's okay. And that cycle actually never ends. You know, like I've been doing this for, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years professionally now. And I literally this year just started to end relationships with clients who were like, like mind blowingly awesome 10 years ago. And we've worked together for a really long time. And like, I've been pivoting again over the last two years. And now I'm saying like, you know, like it's been great. And also I think there is somebody out there who's a better fit for you now. Right. So even once you get to the kind of, higher level of, uh, you know, running a, a service business or an agency, there are still going to be opportunities or times in the future where you have to kind of sit down and do the profit per hour, compare it to your like psychological state with each client and, you know, make decisions about where you want to put your time because you're always going to have a finite and pretty small amount of time, right? Like I don't want to spend my whole life in the office. I want to have a business that allows me to, you know, work during set periods and, and earn money in, in a way that's pretty efficient. Right. And I don't feel like I'm trapped in the office all the time. Um, but even if you scale up, even if you hire, you know, five or six employees or, you know, 50 employees, you still have to make hard decisions about who to work with and who not to. Right. Um, so at every level, I think that is a really valuable exercise. Um, so it makes sense to start it as, as early on as possible. Yeah. How, so how frequently do you kind of reevaluate who, who you're personally working with? So I definitely try to do uh, the, the like client profit per hour thing at the end of every year um, at the minimum. Um, 
in the past, you know, especially as when I was kind of growing fast, uh, you know, because I had just started out, like I was typically uh, bringing in clients who were essentially better clients. So like my new sales were more ideal for me, right? And then they would displace some clients who were kind of at the bottom of my list each year. Um, and oftentimes like I can just naturally like say that I'm too busy for the next project with that person. So it wasn't like a dramatic event, you know, it was just like any, any, any freelancer says, Hey, I've kind of gotten booked up. Sorry. Um, but you know, I was intentionally culling, you know, like that kind of bottom 20% every year, if you will, to make room for new clients who were closer to where I wanted to be both from a pricing and a, a psychology standpoint. Um, nowadays I've shifted a lot more towards retainer work, which means I'm committing to people essentially indefinitely and they're committing to me essentially indefinitely. Um, so I don't do as much calling of, uh, clients in that sense anymore because I'm pretty much stable with where my pricing is. Um, you know, there's not like people who are coming in who are paying me double what the old clients were paying me. Whereas that was happening constantly when I was, when I was first starting out, you know, um, so nowadays I'm focused mostly on, you know, finding a few great long-term relationships and, you know, kind of building the firm based on those. So there's less of the like, kind of like calling the list of 30 clients because I don't have like that huge of a list anymore intentionally. Um, but that's also because I've, I've pared it down a lot and, and really kind of like narrowed it down to like the retainers that really are like long-term and, you know, well-paying and psychologically rewarding and personally rewarding as well. Um, but again, that's been like a 10 to 15 year process to get to that point. Makes sense. So we're about out of time, but before we wrap up, is there anything that you think we should talk about that we haven't? So um, we, uh, there's a ton more that we could talk about on our, in our next- <laughs> We could talk about this maybe. forever. Yeah. I think we could have our own show talking about this yeah. kind of stuff. How to write proposals. Um, so, I mean, basically like, I think, you know, I think the, the core takeaway from the system is like, yeah, there's a, so this is a calculator that's going to help you like hone down your pricing. It's going to do the math for you. It's going to make life easier for you and it's going to speed up your sales. Right. But it also requires some deep kind of decision-making from you to do a good job with it. Right. And that's kind of, you know, I, I love how you talked about like making a decision once and then being able to use that over and over again, right? Um, so I think this plays right into that same idea. Um, I wanna get confident in my pricing, and then I wanna be able to essentially almost automate my proposal process in the sense that, yeah, I'm clicking some buttons, but I'm not making hard decisions all the time, right? My past self has made those hard decisions for me, and now I'm just kind of following the rules. Um, so if you move into that mindset, um, you know, it, it makes, what used to be a very difficult and kind of painstaking process a lot quicker and, and a lot easier and more direct. And the key is that it doesn't just benefit you. It actually benefits the client too, because they can make a faster decision. Um, you know, if they like you and they just need a number, they can go for it. Um, and if they're not a fit, then that's okay. And we can be kind of in and out, you know, relatively fast with the whole process as opposed to it being kind of like a long beleaguered thing that gets very emotional and very negative. Absolutely. So where can our listeners find you if they want to connect or learn more about the proposal system? Sure. So uh, you can check me out at robhoward.co. That's .co. 
Um, and if you want to get the entire system that we talked about today for free, go to robhoward.co slash BTC for Break the Ceiling. Uh, and it'll all be there for you uh, with an extra video and you'll have the ability to download both the calculator itself as a Google spreadsheet and my PDF proposal template um, that you guys can, can pull from, uh, you know, as much or as little as you want, but feel free to, to grab that and kind of use it as a cheat sheet uh, for building out your own proposal system. Yeah, this is something that I use. I use a lot with my clients as well. So I can attest to it being really effective. All right, Rob, thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Maxed out. That is what I hear from entrepreneurs all the time. They've maxed out the hours they can work, the clients they can take on, the projects they can complete. And all that adds up to feeling like they've maxed out the money they can make too. We keep bumping up against this revenue ceiling and it seems like the only way to break through is to do more. But of course they're maxed out. There's no more to do. Sound familiar? You're listening to Break the Ceiling because you know, or at least you hope, that there's a way to break through that doesn't involve working more hours, sacrificing quality, or jeopardizing customer satisfaction. And there is. When you're maxed out, growing your business is as much about what you choose not to do as it is about what you've packed into your to-do list. It's about opting out of the more, more, more mentality and building foundations that allow for growth. And that's exactly what I help entrepreneurs like you do as their CFO and growth advisor. It all starts with getting clear on your money and your foundational systems. I'll help you identify your profit centers, define your process, and create automations that can fuel your cash flow. I'd love to talk with you about how you can jumpstart your revenue growth by doing this. To get started, shoot me an email at susan at scalespark.co. From there, we'll hop on the phone and see if you're a good fit for a custom growth blueprint. Again, reach out to susan at scalespark.co. I'd love to help you break through the ceiling.